Support for Need to Know comes from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, supporting innovations in education, democratic engagement, and the advancement of international peace and security. Learn more at Carnegie.org. Welcome to the Need to Know podcast from the Wilson Center, a podcast for policymakers available to everyone. Always informative, nonpartisan, and relevant, we go beyond the headlines to understand the trend lines in foreign policy. Welcome back and Happy New Year. This is Aaron Jones of the Need to Know podcast, and we are back to talk a little bit more in our Relationships and Rivalries series. Got a couple of our friends from the Wilson Center's Asia program, got Lucas Myers and Michael Kugelman, and we are going to talk about the relationship that exists between China, India, and Myanmar. Now, this is one of these that doesn't reach the headlines too often, but could hold some interesting dynamics for American policymakers. So we'll discuss it for a little bit, help people get educated on it. Michael, let's start with you. First, broad brush, what is the relationship here from from your perspective? You cover a lot of South Asia uh, interests in the region. What's the What's the relationship like from your perspective? Yeah, so I think that we can place this uh, relationship um, very comfortably in the context of uh, the geopolitical competition that we're seeing playing out around the world, and specifically within the context of India-China competition. India and China are, of course, two longtime strategic rivals. Uh, We've spoken about that. um, Three of us have actually spoken about this relationship before, the two biggest uh, players in Asia, uh, countries that have two countries that have fought a war, that have ongoing border disputes, that are in a pretty significant period of tensions right now in their relationship. But um, Myanmar comes in in the context that it is a country where both India and China have been trying to compete for influence. And for quite some time until relatively recently, China had the, the upper hand uh, in the sense that Myanmar and China had a very strong relationship. But what we saw uh, several years ago, a number of years ago, was the powers that be in Myanmar deciding that they wanted to try to branch out from their dependence on China. And that created openings for the U.S., for the for the Obama administration to uh, try to engage with, uh, with Myanmar. And this also created openings for India. Um, and so as a result, what we've seen play out in the last few years, and we can go into this in more detail, is that both countries, both China and India, have sought to sought to invest to build ties with all of the key players um, in Myanmar on the civilian side and and certainly on the military side. And I think that at this point, Myanmar has become one of the, the latest battlegrounds for competition between uh, between India and China in the broader region. Lucas, I want to get your take on this because I know you've tracked a lot of this uh, situation with Myanmar as well. Uh, so what's your what's your take on this? I, I agree completely with with Michael that it's really important to view this through that lens of competition. I mean, that explains a lot of the interest that China and India have in, in working closely in, in Myanmar uh, with the various actors at play. I mean, Myanmar is an incredibly complex political and security uh, environment these days, especially after the February 1st coup last year that upended the entire political and, and security dynamic there. And that really opened up uh, even more room for this competition. Uh, now, China and, and India have um, somewhat 
similar, but by diverging interests, both want to invest heavily in investment. And, and by virtue of bordering Myanmar, which tends to, to be quite unstable at times, especially now, they have an interest in maintaining that stability. But their overarching competition leads them to uh, view it in, in relatively zero-sum terms in the sense that India wants to influence the government in, in, in its favor and China wants to influence the government Napada in its own direction. Uh, and recently, I would say that that, it, that China has had somewhat of an advantage, uh, relatively speaking, compared to India. Uh, this is especially so since the coup, because um, the military in, in Myanmar obviously is, is alienated uh, from most of the West and needs China's support. And it, even though it has a admittedly very complicated relation with China itself, it fears uh, China doesn't like this dependence that it has on Beijing, but it needs China. And what's interesting is recently you've seen India sort of soften its stance towards the military because it wants to reach back out and attempt to uh, court them further away from China. And so this is a very complex uh, situation. It certainly sounds interesting. And I would uh, advise listeners, if you haven't already, go back and listen to our discussion about the situation with China and India. We've had this discussion before. We've, we've done programs at the Wilson Center that cover this as well. What about the situation with COVID? Vaccine diplomacy from the Chinese. India has a huge vaccine manufacturing capability, but also a challenge with with COVID itself. Where does Myanmar stand in this triangulation? Yeah, so this is this is an important part of the story, at least over the last few years, because if you want to, if you talk about uh, the biggest manifestations of China India competition um, in South Asia. Uh, Clearly, infrastructure investments had been the biggest manifestation. China is clearly ahead of, the, of India in that game. But indeed, we have seen India and China both um, trying to mobilize to provide uh, vaccines to a number of um, uh, the other countries in South Asia. Um, India, of course, was only able to do that for a brief period. It rolled out this huge vaccine export program in January of 2021, but then it had to suspend it. Uh, in, in April of last year because it had its own uh, catastrophic COVID surge and that allowed China to get a leg up on the competition, which has continued. But uh, indeed, I, Myanmar has become a big part of this as well. Uh, we have seen both countries mobilized to try to deliver vaccines. And I think for India, there's been concern about um, uh, transit along the border, uh, particularly refugees coming into India from Myanmar, uh, especially since the, the coup and the instability that's brought fears that um, COVID has been coming into the country um, from uh, because of that, because of that human transit. And that's something that's actually prompted India to provide um, uh, vaccines to, uh, to Myanmar. And just a quick note, very quick note, you know, I think it's important to step away for a second here. If you look at a map, right, and you see, if you look at Myanmar, you see, it appears that Bangladesh is Myanmar's Western neighbor. But here we are talking about you know, border issues and, and so on. I think it's important to note that because of the somewhat unusual geography of South Asia, India does border uh, Myanmar's northeast border lies um, to, uh, to to Myanmar's west. This is once you had the emergence of Bangladesh in 1971. So you actually have this very important, very strategic, very volatile northeastern Indian border, uh, which has been home to a number of insurgency movements over the years, some of which have had a presence in, in Myanmar. 
Um, so I just think that it, it's important for our listeners if they were to take a casual look at a map, you know, they'll see, they'll see, oh, I see Bangladesh bordering Myanmar. I see India bordering Bangladesh to the West. Why should we be talking about India Myanmar border issues? So I just think it's important to point out the that somewhat unusual arrangement of the border in this in this region. And and I think I would build up on that a little bit by emphasizing how Myanmar has as a state, and when I'm talking from the central state apparatus and, and Napadaw, uh, whether it's the military-led regime that we currently see or the previous National League for, Democ- League for Democracy, uh, neither government has ex- exercised full control over its borders. Uh, for instance, along the border with China, that actually is controlled very heavily by uh, several a variety of what are known as ethnic armed organizations or EAOs. These are uh, minority ethnic group, uh, rebel groups, insurgencies that in, in some cases are supported uh, by China via arms and, and have essentially autonomous regions. Uh, most prominently, the United Wa State Army and the Kachin Independence Organization uh, in, in, in North and East uh, along the China border. And then against, as, as Michael mentioned, against the India border, there are a few insurgencies as well. And, and you know, this is something that the, the central regime has always struggled with in Myanmar since independence. It's actually the world's longest running civil war in Myanmar uh, since 1948, essentially. And in this context, you know, with COVID and the border, there's a lot of illicit trade. And, you know, both China and India are concerned about this spillage. I mean, in Yunnan, which is the Chinese province that borders Myanmar, there's been a few instances of COVID from Myanmar. And as such, they've largely closed that border and restricted trade uh, quite a bit, uh, which has harmed, you know, uh, the the local economy and also uh, some of China's relations in, in Myanmar. Um, and, and as a vaccine element, you know, with the the central state being kind of weak right now, and obviously since the beginning of last year with the coup, um, vaccine deployment in, throughout Myanmar has been very much slowed, and and uh, we have essentially an unmitigated humanitarian disaster and unfolding in Myanmar. And so this is going to be likely. There's not really much capacity to uh, resolve the COVID situation in Myanmar going forward, at least uh, in the current security context. So I guess I'm struck by your descriptions of Myanmar's relationship and sort of dependence on other countries in the region, particularly China. Is it possible that we could see with the current government in Myanmar a similar situation as to the relationship that China has with North Korea? Or is that going a bit too far? I would argue that it's, I would say that North Korea-China relationship is, is very complex and equally so with Myanmar. You know, so the the military in Myanmar, known as the Tatmada locally, both distrusts and needs China. You know, Min Aung Long, who is the current leader of the military in, in Myanmar, uh, for instance, is reaching out to Russia. His first formal state visit was to Moscow uh, over the summer. And this is very important because he's trying to balance away from dependence on Beijing. And why is that? Well, the large reason is actually China has long played uh, what is often a dual game or or a hedging approach in Myanmar, where it supports relationships with both uh, the, the central government these ethnic armed organizations that I mentioned along its border and other actors, uh, even to, to this day, even though it very much supports the junta that controls Myanmar's central government, it also still has some ties to the ousted political party, the National League for Democracy, that it wants to keep in its back as a sort of backup plan in case things go south even further. 
And, and throughout this whole period, China's been give, uh, Chinese actors in, in, in its southwest provinces have sort of allowed an arms trade. And, and a lot of the rebel groups um, in Myanmar are, are armed and equipped with, with Chinese weaponry, some of it quite sophisticated, uh, such as anti-aircraft uh, uh, surface-to-air missiles. And, and in this sense, this is you know complex. So, so the military of Myanmar looks at China and says, okay, you're supporting this insurgency. And then at the same time, we need you in the UN. We need your trade. We need your investment. And so this is a complicated game that, that's being played here. Well, that's why I bring it up, because the relationship that China has with North Korea is certainly complex and uh, has many dynamics that just a simple reading of the headlines we may not get. But we've had other shows on this podcast where we've discussed and gone into detail with some of our North Korean experts about this issue. Um, So it's pretty interesting dynamic there. Okay, so Michael, you've talked about border disputes uh, that that China has had with India and border disputes uh, with Myanmar as well to the West. Uh, is there a possibility of them igniting some kind of conflagration in the region? Um, or are they just some fights between neighbors? I think that uh, these these border issues, and they're not really border disputes. We're talking about uh, insurgencies. Uh, we're talking about anti-state actors, uh, anti-India actors um, that um, have posed a threat um, to to India. And many have um, positioned, positioned themselves on the Myanmar side of the border. Uh, so it's really an issue of cross-border security um, and a, a, the threat posed by that. These are these are sent at this point. These are low-boil insurgencies in the sense that they're not raging as much as they had been uh, several decades ago. India has been able to uh, uh, finalize or conclude a number of peace accords, um, but every now and then violence still flares. Um, you do get cases. You know, some of these these north northeast Indian states. You, there, there are resurges, um, resurgences in the violence sometimes. Uh, and when that happens, Indian security forces tend to crack down hard. So it, it continues to be a concern. I would not describe it as a major threat to regional stability and not to global stability. But keeping in mind the broader picture here, we're talking about India, a close partner of the United States, um, which Washington, of course, uh, really sees as a critical strategic player in the context of the Indo-Pacific and the role it can play in helping counter China. So if these insurgencies were to to ramp up again and become a bigger uh, threat for India, that could potentially have implications for U.S. interests because if India is distracted by these new upsurges in violence, you know, that that could have an impact. But yeah, at this point, it's really a bilateral matter between India and, and Myanmar. And I think this gets to the very interesting uh, look at how India and China view the Myanmar military and specifically talking about this from from the India perspective. You know, India would much prefer uh, and Indian officials say they would much prefer if Myanmar returns to democracy. Their core interest in Myanmar's stability um, and so the, the, the view in New Delhi is that ultimately Myanmar is more stable if you have um, a civilian government. But at the same time, India recognizes that the Myanmar military in recent years has actually, according to what India believes, done a pretty good job of curbing the presence of these anti-India uh, militants uh, have, that have been present on the Myanmar side. And so that suggests that India may conclude that, well, maybe... Our interests are benefited a bit if you continue to have the military uh, calling the shots, doing what it does, because that uh, ensures that our border security 
um, is in a is in a better place. So, you know, India has to be very careful, and I think China is not quite in this role. India has to be very careful about how it deals with Myanmar. It, it would much with the Myanmar military. It it would much prefer that there's movement back to civilian democracy, and so it's going to maintain its links to civilian leaders. But at the same time, it can't afford to antagonize the military in Myanmar because doing so could impact its interests, whether we're talking about security or whether we're talking about the Myanmar military's role in supporting uh, Indian-sponsored infrastructure projects. And ultimately, I think that India's biggest concern is that if it antagonizes the, mil- the Myanmar military too much, that'll just drive that the military closer to China once again. That's that's clearly a big concern for, for the Indians. Well, I appreciate the clarification there that as a host here who doesn't always follow this as closely as you do, and I know we've had our discussions about China and India's actual border disputes, uh, but we're talking about something different here. This is uh, the insurgencies and insurgent groups that are along the border. So that is a good clarification. Lucas? You know, and I think you know, from a sort of American policymaker perspective, or at least a U.S.-based uh, view looking at this issue, um, I worry that there isn't a lot of attention on something that's more important than is, than is often portrayed in, in, in the media, right? It, this is a sort of issue that tends to fall by the wayside when other disputes and, and, and international crises occur. But I think Myanmar is more crucial for regional stability and, and then and is often otherwise assumed. It, it's very much the connecting country between South Asia uh, via land and then Southeast Asia. It's been a massive issue from the perspective of, of ASEAN. I mean, recently you had the new chair of ASEAN, Cambodia, visit Myanmar, and some have said that this is legitimizing of the junta, right? And, and U.S. policy towards this region is that we should support ASEAN centrality and, and, and unity as a hedge against, you know, rising Chinese power. And so if Myanmar remains unstable in this sense, then that's an issue. Um, you know, beyond that, Myanmar is actually, according to the UN Office of uh, Drug and, and Crime, it's the second largest producer of opium in the world. I mean, particularly these groups along China's border, like the United Law State Army. And so that's a source of instability. And beyond that, with the civil war in Myanmar heating up and, and various you know, groups uh, engaging the military in, in quite highly intense con- combat. Uh, this is a potentially a long-term source of, source of instability in a really strategic region. And so I think the U.S. needs to be paying it more attention to it. And I think the role of India is complicated here because, you know, the U.S. has been attempting to lead this response to the coup and, and oppose this military takeover through sanctions and international, uh, you know, build coalition building. But throughout the whole process, some of the U.S. allies and partners in the region have been much more reluctant to take a strong stance, namely you know, India, Japan, Australia, all three you know, in the Quad, the quadrilateral security dialogue that the U.S. partakes in. You know, they've, they've been much less willing to take on the junta, and we're seeing some of that uh, play out where now the junta is gaining this international legitimacy. China is much more willing to embrace the junta openly and, and and this is an issue, you know, if this essentially for, say, the Biden administration with a, with a pro-democracy uh, stance and, and a desire to see Southeast Asia, you know, be much more uh, um, able to stand on its own against, you know, say, outside influence from China. I think Myanmar remaining an unstable, you know, place is going to be really a serious issue from from that perspective. 
Yeah, if I could, Aaron, I, I would just echo uh, what Lucas said. I think he made a critical point that, I mean, yes, if you want to make this into a very parochial issue, you know, if you're looking at border security concerns along the India-Myanmar uh, frontier, that's not in of itself a major uh, security threat. But if you put everything together, I think you, you can argue that um, there's a bit of a perfect storm at play here. I mean, as Lucas said, looking at, at Myanmar's location, essentially linking South and Southeast Asia, you know, it sits right in the middle of the of uh, the Indian Ocean region, um, and it's susceptible to uh, climate change effects. Uh, and you look at the drug production issues, you look at the instability in the country because of the military rule, as well as the presence of insurgencies. Um, it's, I would argue, maybe I wouldn't use a word like powder keg, but still, I think that this is a country for a variety of reasons that does deserve a closer look uh, than it tends to get in key capitals, including Washington. I think that there may be a tendency to look at it from, from a siloed approach, one that looks at this from the issue of democracy versus authoritarianism, uh, you know, looking at the history of how things have developed, you know, looking at the evolution of Aung San Suu Kyi and how she evolved or devolved, I guess, from a pro-democracy figure to someone that appeared to be um, uh, taking positions that were very concerning, uh, such as her position toward Rohingya Muslims, which we haven't even gotten into. But I think that it deserves a broader, less reductive approach, just because there's a lot going on here in Myanmar. And as we said right at the top, it's become a battleground for um, for India-China uh, rivalry, which I really see as one of the big geopolitical stories in Asia um, over the last few years. And I think just one last point on, you know, why to reiterate, you know, why this rivalry in Myanmar from the India-China perspective matters is that, you know, from a U.S. perspective, like we said, it's they're, they're, the view is somewhat different. But if you look at it from Beijing or you look at it from within China, you China has an issue of geography. Right. And, and and as does India here, where, you know, from an India's perspective, Myanmar is on the east. It's, it's a source of some cross-border instability and, and, and concern. And it's, you know, it's on India's right flank. From China, Myanmar is, is an overland route to the Indian Ocean, which is crucial from Beijing's perspective because of the risk of, you know, blockade potentially if there's ever some sort of armed conflict or situation leading up to this you know, between, say, the United States and China, they want to make sure that they have access to these crucial oil routes that that predominate in the Indian Ocean. I mean, it recently, you know, China imported about, you know, 80% of China's imported oil passes through uh, Southeast Asia and the Malacca Straits. And so, you know, one of their main interests in, in, in Myanmar is building this uh, you know, multi-billion-dollar oil pipeline from from China to the Indian Ocean, along with an infrastructure route called the China-Myanmar Economic Corridor. And what this does for China is it sort of diversifies its access to these markets, makes it a little bit more resistant to to potential pressure from you know a naval perspective. And this kind of flanks India, right? And so this is something that India is concerned about because this is a long-term, you know, potential risk. And so this is more of a geopolitical situation that I think is often assumed if it's viewed in a siloed manner. I think that's a great way to to really encapsulate this whole thing. Uh, we do often look in silos, and that's when when you all approached me about doing this. We've been doing these relationship podcasts and studying these relationships in a bilateral sense, but then this triangulation was actually a pretty interesting dynamic. And like you say, there's, these are much more complicated relationships than just, you know, one issue, authoritarianism versus democracy, 
or military versus civilian and some of these other issue areas. Michael Kugelman, you are right. We didn't even touch on the Rohingya situation, which, you know, that that is a whole other dynamic of this. And, and those camps are in Bangladesh. So there's a whole other strain on the region as well from the, the movement of those folks. But we've covered a lot in 24 minutes. I like how we we went from uh, the, the sort of the high level and then getting into what it means for actual Western policymakers. And maybe we could just discuss this further some other time, but I really appreciate the snapshot view and hopefully give us a chance for our listeners to dig a little deeper, listen to some of the other podcasts we've done on some of these issues in the region, and also check out some of our other programming on this. So Michael Kugelman, Lucas Myers from the Asia Program at the Wilson Center, thank you so much for helping us walk through this. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks a lot.